we live at that interesting time of the year when there is more and more light. Back in December, we only had eight hours and 46 minutes. Today, we have nine hours and 35 minutes, even if it's not very bright, the light out there. But there are greater things yet to come in June, 15 hours and 37 minutes of light. The epiphany season is sort of like that, as the light of Christ burns brighter and brighter. In the story of the Magi, his suffering for us is anticipated. In the temptation story, there is, is an alignment with those who are being persecuted. Nathaniel, overwhelmed at the foreknowledge of Jesus, is told by Jesus, greater things than these will you see. And Simon and Andrew are invited to leave behind their nets and fish for people. Today, in the Gospel lesson, we meet that prophet about whom the Old Testament lesson spoke, the greater Moses, one who is mighty not only in word, but also in deed. We'll probe the reaction to Jesus and see how, as, Matthew, as Mark casts the story, he's really pointing beyond the story to the greater things than these that are yet to come. Part one, mighty in word and deed. The story begins with urgency, and immediately Jesus was in the synagogue teaching. Now, we're not told what he said, but we're told that it was different. See, the typical scribe or rabbi, when commenting on the Old Testament books of Moses, would talk about what the famous rabbis had said. Rabbi Gamaliel said this. Rabbi Hillel said that, but would never give their own opinion. Jesus, however, taught as one who had authority. Now, those same words occur also in Matthew's gospel at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's probably indicating to us the kinds of things he said. As in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, anyone who hates his brother. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anybody who looks. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I say to you, turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies. The words of Jesus were notable and powerful that day. But he was also mighty indeed. A man appeared in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked 
the unclean spirit. Be silent and come out of him. And convulsing the man, crying with a loud sound, he came out. The actions of Jesus were notable and powerful. So Mark presents Jesus to us in the first description of his ministry in this gospel. But what's fascinating to me is the reaction of those who are present. As Mark says in the story, two words stand out. They were astonished and they were amazed. Astonished because of his teaching. This is the idea of being sort of dumbfounded. Your senses are overloaded. And there's a little bit of fear mixed in. Amazement at the exorcism, that's sort of trembling at an unusual event, the sort of, oh, wow, that you and I get at a Fourth of July fireworks display during the last final scene when everything's blowing up all over the place. It's that kind of reaction. Okay. What is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They were amazed and astonished, but they were also confused. Nonetheless, word spread quickly about him. There was certainly excitement about Jesus. But Mark notes no expressions of faith. The demon had said, you are the Holy One of God. But after the demon is driven out, do the people say that of Jesus? No. They're confused. This description of the reaction to Jesus actually continues throughout the gospel. The people are astonished and amazed, but they really can't figure this Jesus guy out. And the disciples who were there in the synagogue, silent, saying nothing, throughout the rest of the gospel don't seem to understand what Jesus is doing. Mark certainly teaches that the teaching of Jesus is astonishing, and his mighty deeds are amazing, but they're not the end of the story. Greater things than these are yet to come. I think there's a lesson for us as we consider God's workings today among us. In my short time here at this congregation, one of the things that impresses me about you as a congregation is the intentionality by which you take note of how God is at work in your lives and in your interactions with others. You know, it's really easy to go through life not paying attention, not even noticing what God is doing, but you're intentional about it. At the beginning of Bible class, the Take 10 period, reviewing the week in staff meetings, sharing in missional communities, I suspect this is really important because it gives you greater confidence to point to the workings of God in your conversations with others, opening them up to that amazing spiritual world in which God's grace and forgiveness stand out. It's good and a joy to say and see that God is present in this moment or that experience with others. 
But Mark's telling of the story cautions us a bit, lest our experiences now become the totality of what makes us Christian. Yes, God is at work. That's great and reason to thank God. But God is actually up to so much more. In the fourth gospel, John uses a particular word to describe the mighty deeds of Jesus. He doesn't call them miracles. In fact, the word miracle is not used in the New Testament. He calls them signs, events that point beyond themselves to what's happening. Let me illustrate this with the common stop sign. A stop sign, after all, is more than just a red octagon with white words on it. A stop sign points to what's coming, an intersection that one cannot safely cross without stopping first. In the same way, the mighty words of Jesus point beyond themselves to what is to come. The feeding of the 5,000, a marvelous experience, but it also anticipates the heavenly banquet. The stilling of the storm foreshadows the sweet calm of paradise the blessed. The healing of the paralytic calls to mind the prophecy of Isaiah that there will be a time of no more sorrow, sickness, pain, or death. And the casting out of a demon, I like how they're shown as little black critters coming out in the icons of, of antiquity. The defeat of Satan and the power of evil that will be eventuated in the end. When we recognize that God is up to so much more even while God is at work among us, those moments take on new meaning. We give thanks to God when health is restored after surgery. But our hope is not for this life only. The help we receive from a neighbor may remind us that one day we will be born on eagle's wings to the presence of God. The good conversation we have with someone about Jesus, is it not an anticipation of an eternity of praise around the throne? And that new work opportunity that allows us to start over, does it not look forward in a way to that day when God will make all things new. In describing the reaction of the crowds, Mark hints that as astonishing and amazing as those events were, greater things than these are yet to happen. The crowds, they are astonished and amazed but often confused. 
The disciples of Jesus don't understand. Religious leaders, oh, they're sure there's something off about this guy. He's certainly not from God. Perhaps that's why in this gospel, more than other gospels, Mark tells stories where Jesus commands those to not tell anyone about what has happened. They don't get it yet. There's only one person in the gospel at one particular moment who may indeed grasp what happens. When Jesus dies, the centurion at the cross declares, truly this man was God's son. God does a lot of wonderful things in our lives, and we thank God for that. But God's best work was the work that God did at the cross. In Mark's gospel, greater things than these are yet to come. We get that hint every time he uses the phrase, and immediately, because he's sort of pushing us on to the next thing that will lead to the greatest thing of all. A word may inspire. Healing stories may restore. But it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that are something so much more. They don't impact just one group. It's not just ten lepers who are cleansed. The cross and the resurrection offer all people of all time, forgiveness, life, salvation, something that goes on forever, something far greater than any sermon, any story, any miracle. And the same is true for each of us. The blessings of this life are indeed blessings for which God is worthy of our praise and thanks. But they become an afterthought when we hear the words, Come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What we do for others, whoops, what we do for others is extremely helpful with the challenges of day-to-day living. But far greater is eternal life, that free gift of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Actions that aid others throughout the stages of life, from starting out to raising a family to adjusting to an empty nest to navigating growing frailty. They show goodness, they show kindness, they show support. But when done in view of all that God still promises to do in Jesus, these acts anticipate and prepare us for eternity. See, the opportunity in this text is to move beyond astonishment and amazement to faith. Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. A faith that connects God's eternal work with all those days and moments of our lives today. They were astounded and amazed at the teaching of Jesus in the exorcism that day. And we give thanks to God for all the ways in which God works in our world both then and now. And because of Jesus, 
his cross and resurrection, our eyes have been opened to even greater things than these. It's the response of faith, a faith that is worth sharing. Yes, Jesus is one who is mighty in word and deed. He was then, he is now. The reaction to Jesus, the invitation today is to move from amazement to faith, recognizing that greater things than these are yet to come. Oh, yes, they are. In the name of Jesus. Amen.